Good morning. I've been looking forward to this. I, too, I'm joining you today between two trips. I'm in Florida all next week at a, a retreat of all the regional leaders, but uh, when we saw this right in between those trips, I wanted to still make sure uh, that we set this time aside to spend with you. We do love Redeemer Fellowship, and I love that so many people from Redeemer have taken time out of a weekend to invest to put yourself under the teaching of God's word, to examine your own hearts, become more like Christ, and have your marriages reflect more of the glory of Christ. Uh, one of the things, before I even get started, one of the things, mistakes we can make when we come to marriage conferences is to think, y'all need the help, and the speakers up here have it all together. Um, one of my favorite things about teaching at marriage conferences, particularly when I host them and they're here, is I get to sit under the teaching of, of other guys because we all need the help. Uh, the book that, Jar that, that Joel mentioned is the outflow of an extended marital crisis that Gina and I had. Uh, it found expression in a 2,500-word article that was called Five Communication Tools That Saved Our Marriage. And so it was an extended marriage crisis that was devoid of godly communication. Uh, we learned some things, and they saved our marriage. And by God's grace, uh, we, November will be 29 years. And uh, we are just thrilled at the grace of God. Uh, believe that wherever you find yourselves, his grace is sufficient for you there. And you don't have to be at the level you perceive the couple next to you to be, we just want to take one more step closer to Jesus, okay? <clears throat> We're going to get to God's word in just a minute, but let me set this time up. The message that, that Joel asked me to preach is gospel-shaped communication, and I want to set the time up with a story. It happened many years ago when our now 24-year-old was five and then our now 22-year-old, you can do the math, was three. We had, they had received one of those small toolkits. You know, that's in like the formed plastic. It's a tiny hammer. It's got a, the tiny kind of useless pliers. You know what I'm talking about. And for some reason, in those home toolkits, they always include these precision screwdrivers. They're the really tiny things that you, they use on very few instances, but I guess you're always glad you have one when you need one. And those precision screwdrivers are very important to this story. Because about a day or two later, the, the, the boys are on our back deck playing with their toolkits, and Nathan, being five, took a nail, drove it through a two-by-four, and fastened that board to our deck. Okay, successfully using the hammer. And Sam at three didn't have that coordination quite yet. And he's trying to hit this thing and he's missing it. And when he does hit it, he, he can't hold on to it, so it's bouncing out. And he's just getting so frustrated. Gina and I kind of step away and we're like, he's, he's going to figure something out. And sure enough, he did. About 10 minutes later, we hear, hear this kind of joyful squeal. We go on our back deck. And he has successfully hit this nail into the board. The problem is, it wasn't the nails we provided. He found a much larger nail that he could get his whole hand around and had a much bigger head at the top. Yeah, it was the flathead precision screwdriver <laughs> that he had nailed into this board. And in that moment, you're like, well, let's congratulate him. 
but he's kind of destroyed the screwdriver forever. And I tell you that story because out of Sam's ignorance, childishness really, he took a tool and misused it. And in his misusing it, he damaged it. He created a bigger problem, thinking he knew what he was doing. In his ignorance, he actually destroyed the screwdriver. The story has importance for us this morning because this is what we often do with communication. We think we know what it's for. We don't educate ourselves, and in our ignorance, we use it and are surprised at the damage we create. Or we know full well that we're using it wrong. We kind of hijack communication. We co-opt it from God. And we say, thank you very much for the words. I'll use these for my own purposes. And we wreak havoc around us. The people that surround us are not absorbing the consequences of our innocent mistakes. They're frightened. They're hurting at our willful damage that we create with the intentional misuse of words. Maybe you find yourself on the tail end of just a broken chain of communication and you just do your best to avoid it altogether. It's safest if we just don't talk about it. I, I want to encourage you, wherever you find yourself, whether it's, you could be thriving in it as well, of course, right? But if you find yourself in the, man, we, we've not known what we've been doing and communication is so hard. Or you find yourself in, we know full well what we've been doing and we've damaged one another. Or we gave up on communication a while ago, Rob. Wherever you find yourself, I want to say two things. First, the grace of Christ is sufficient to meet you there. And second, God calls his followers to a better way. The church of Christ can do better in our marital communication. And just to add a bit more weight to that, the church of Christ must do better in how we communicate with one another. Our marriages are supposed to reflect something otherworldly. And we have an opportunity to do that in our communication. As we head into the meat of this message, you're going to find yourselves encouraged, I hope, at times. Challenged, I hope, at times. Uh, and I, I, my desire for you as you hear this is that the filter through which you hear would be the prayer at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If we'll listen that way, your communication in your marriage can improve before lunch to the praise of Christ. So let's have a look 
and invite God to examine our lives, our hearts, and our tongues. We're going to cover this in, in three sections. The first two are more like points than the last is application. The first, the first section is God's purpose for words. Why has he created them? Second, God's direction for words. How are we to use them? And then lastly, we'll take a look at some very practical application to help you get from where you are to there. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, help us in this time, not just me, but help us to desire for your word to carry the day in our hearts and in our tongues so that whatever we do would be to your glory and that we would be more like you as a result. Do it because it is in keeping with your will and in step with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good. All right, God's purpose for words. Let's keep this in mind as we look at this point. God has ransomed us from death to life. We were at one point slaves to sin, now we are slaves to righteousness, Romans 6 tells us. We've been liberated from one who only sought to destroy us, that's our enemy the devil, to one who has only our good in view, that's our benevolent savior. And I I say this in all of these different ways, the way the scriptures say this in all these different ways for this reason. We have not been saved to be independent contractors. We've been saved to be disciples of Jesus. And so if he has created the words, he gets to tell us what they're for. He gets to tell us how to use them, and it's our job to not evaluate whether we agree, but to come under. Are you with me? So it's very important that we listen as slaves to righteousness, as disciples of Jesus. And here, I'm going to try to summarize all of Scripture as it relates to communication. What is the ultimate purpose for communication? The ultimate purpose of all communication is to glorify God and reflect His image with our words. I know it's up on the screens, but I want to say that again. The ultimate purpose of all communication is to glorify God and reflect his image with our words. Now, if you look at that, that summary, it can seem so kind of broad that we, what do I do with that? How do I bring that down to real life? Well, let's be convinced that the summary is accurate first. Okay. Ephesians 5 tells us, as disciples of Jesus, to be imitators of God, as beloved children. Tells us to walk in love, as Christ loved us, you see the reflection here, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our conduct as disciples is to reflect the kind of love and sacrifice Jesus has has, has demonstrated for us. Romans 12 in this this glorious pivot to, to Paul's application. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We lay it down, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What God has done in Romans 1 to 11 
needs to find expression in how we live in Romans 12 forward. And then most explicitly in Colossians 3, and most on target for our message this morning, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed. See, the truth is, and the writer, writers of the, of the scriptures know it, we are given to the flesh. We often use our tongues in service to our own pride, to our own agenda, to our own passions. And James 3 language, we steer the ship of our marriage into dangerous waters. If there's yelling, if there are harsh words or tones, if there's anger, you can be sure one or both of you has abandoned God's purpose for your words. Is it really kind of that uniform, Rob? It is. You may not do all the damage that could be done, but you certainly are not reflecting God's image when you take words and put them to your own service. And I'm not standing over you, remember, as someone who has done this well all the time or even continues to do it well all the time. I've been there. Gina, my wife, has been there. The other speakers, Joel and Jared, they've been there. But the commonness of speech sins doesn't diminish the wrongness of speech sins. Just because you can more easily confess, oh, my wife and I had a conflict last night, and that doesn't bring public shame. Praise God it doesn't. But just because that's easier to confess doesn't mean it is any less sinful. Gospel-shaped communication starts with gospel purposes. And so we must align our purpose for speaking with God's purpose for speaking. So you may ask, how can we bridge the gap between the self-driven purpose of our words and the God-prescribed purpose for our words? I hope that's what you're asking because that's what the rest of the message is going to answer. All right, let's prepare for that next point in two ways. First... I want to give an important qualifier. If you're sitting here and you know you are in a serious crisis marriage, you're not safe in your own home. You're trying to figure out what to do. I'd encourage you, listen to the rest of this message. It'll be helpful, but it's probably not the first thing you should do. The rest of this message. You want to bring that secret into the light and you want to get to safety. And so these things will apply to all of us at some point, most of us now. But what I don't want you to do if you're in a situation like that is to go back to that spouse and practice taking on these communication tools. Let's get to safety and greater health and then you can apply the rest of this marriage. Are you with uh, the rest of this message? You with me? Second, 
We're going to answer that question of how to take this into our lives with, with these directions. But I, wanted, I want to bring Psalm 139 down to earth and put some sneakers on it. And here, here's, here's my instruction. This is preparing for the directions. I want you to listen to the rest of this message with a rake rather than with a shovel. Now this is some of what Sean was just alluding to when he was talking about one of the emphases of re-engage. But let me illustrate. The very first marriage conference Gina and I attended was actually a family life marriage conference with, which Joel referenced earlier. It was full of biblical truth, helpful application, and let me just be honest with you, it would have changed our marriage if Gina was listening and just would have fixed the problems. <laughs> I mean, it's like they were reading our mail and understood how hard it was to be married to this woman. <laughs> Before you get too defensive for her, she was listening that same way. If Rob would just listen, all the problems in our marriage could be fixed. What were we doing? Truth was being delivered right to our feet. And we were taking a shovel and saying, man, she really needs this one. She needs this one. And we were tossing our tr the truth into each other's pile. What we came to learn when God started to put our marriage back together is as truth is delivered, we got to reach out and we got to pull it in. Okay, we need the rake to pull it in. And I'm not sure if that truth is for her or for me. Let me get that into my pile and let me apply it here. In most of our situations, if we just deal with our pile, so many of our problems will go away. We'll see them in the proper light. Okay, so the encouragement there is to put the shovels down and pick up the rakes. Pull whatever you hear for the rest of this message, the rest of this conference, pull it to you and trust God and his Holy Spirit to deal with your spouse. Okay? Now let's go to point number two, God's direction for our words. And here we're gonna get four directions under this point. And I want you to remember, there is real danger in communication if you're not using a rake. You will stand in judgment of every word or tone your spouse uses if you're not using a rake. God is not silent on communication. And let's be disciples of his truth. First, we should speak so people encounter God, not us. This flows right out of 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. The idea is that our hearts should be in sync with the Lord to such a degree that our words are in keeping with his heart. When we use words, those who hear should be left with a sense of God, with an aroma of Christ, not with a bad aftertaste of us. And when we speak to our spouse, it ought to be nurturing, caring, kind, respectful, encouraging. Even if we have to say something challenging, and at times we must, it ought not be in a challenging way. If your spouse is going to struggle 
with something challenging you need, you need to say, let it be over the substance of what you're saying and not the way you said it. God says some very difficult things to us. But he does it in a loving way for our good. And this requires that we address our own hearts, listen to this very important, before speaking. We address our hearts. Matthew 12 assures us that our mouths speak out of the overflow of our hearts. And you know this as well as I do. You can fake this at church. You can behave for an hour and a half or two hours. You can appear like you're a kind, godly couple. You can fake this, many of you, for a weekend of a marriage conference. You cannot fake this at home. You can't. Home is where the real you comes out. So if your spouse is going to encounter God rather than you, if God's heart is going to come out of your heart, we must have more of him in there than we have of us. And this direction, direction number one, reminds us to get serious in our own walk with Jesus. If we don't, we should stop being surprised at the troubles we have in our marriages. We must get serious in our walk with Jesus. Being an ambassador for Christ is a very tall task, but it is more than just evangelism. It's more than just representing the kingdom at work or in your neighborhood. It's representing the kingdom in your home. Being an ambassador to the souls that God has placed there and realizing as an ambassador You've not been given total autonomy. You've been given an assignment. So we should speak so that people encounter God and not us. Now the next three directions in point number two here come straight out of one verse in the Bible. If I could have every marriage, every marriage me memorize one verse, it would be this one. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's Ephesians 4.29. Let's just break it down. Each of the next three directions are just different phrases from that. We should build up, number two, we should build up with our words and not tear down. Within marriage... We, of all people, ought to be on the hunt for something to encourage in our spouse. Why we, of all people? Because marriage is a very vulnerable place to be. You are seen in your marriage unlike the way you're seen anywhere else. You're known in your marriage unlike you are anywhere else. Your spouse knows the best of you and the worst of you. And that can be weaponized. It can be used against you to diminish and demean. Or it can be handled with the utmost of care 
so that you're not perceived through your worst parts, but through your best parts. And you have such power to build up your spouse by looking for encouragement rather than looking to tear down. If we are going to speak in keeping with God's direction, we should build up with our words and not tear down. Consider the impact of encouragement on your own life. Maybe you hear from another member of the church how grateful they were for your ministry or from a boss about something wonderful that they appreciate in how you did. Or let's say you blew it and you made a major mistake and what you received back was, all right, listen, let's just step into this. Let's fix the problem and let's move forward and see if we could do it better next time. When shame could have been the flavor of the day, you're given grace. Surely, We all have at least one experience when we deserved more than we got. And we're just grateful for the response that we received. You have that power 50 times a day in your spouse. If you would simply look for encouragement and speak encouragement rather than correction to tear down. So take account of the words you have spoken in the first couple hours of today. Or maybe you don't talk a lot in the morning. Maybe think this week. Are there more teardown words? Or are there more build-up words? Do you have the courage to ask your spouse to answer that question for you? Is your spouse more aware of how much you value them or of how much you disapprove of them? I'm not asking these questions to condemn you, just to kind of hold up a mirror and let us, let us see what's true about us. Encouragement is not an issue of personality or gifting. It's not just that some people are more encouraging than others. Well, that may or may not be true, that, that people are more so. Encouragement is an issue of discipleship. Will we obey not, oh, that's, not, that's kind of not how, God may be more of a truth teller than an encourager. Well, then he calls you to repent. <laughs> the truth telling part may be just like Jesus. The lack of encouragement is not like Jesus. Be more like Jesus. Address what you don't naturally do and grow in discipleship there. Okay, we need to build up with our words and not tear down. Direction number three. We should speak in a way that fits the occasion. Certain words are appropriate for certain occasions and not for others. And we know this inherently. Let me illustrate again from work. Let's say you've been building up the courage to ask for a raise. And you're set. I'm doing it today. And you walk in and, and you, you know, you, you've dressed a little nicer. You've prepared a kind greeting for your boss, and your boss comes through on the phone, just angry as I'll get out on a phone call. Do you rush right in there and ask for a raise? No, you read the room, and you're like, all right, if I really want my words to be effective, I'm going to hold off and wait till maybe he's, he's eating breakfast, <laughs> or she's had her cup of coffee, or maybe till tomorrow. and and let this kind of angry start to the day dissipate. We all do this naturally. 
but we often fail to have that kind of discernment in our homes. Where we, I got, got to get this off my chest. No, you don't. You don't. That's not why God gave you words, to give you relief. He gave you words to reflect his image and his purposes. He gave you words to build up. He gave you words that are precise for an occasion. Are you reading the occasion before you speak? Let me say this. It is possible to say the right words at the wrong time and be out of step with the will of God. Is that even a category for you? And the ESV speaks directly to this. Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken, appropriately spoken, is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. When you've got, and you've received this before from someone, haven't you? The right thing at the right time. As pastor, I have an opportunity to, to see some of the, the greatest victories in people's lives and the greatest failures. And when someone is sitting in front of me and they are suffering the consequences of their awful choices, it's not difficult to see what correction is needed. But oftentimes that first conversation is not the time for correction. It's the time to sit and weep. It's the time to grieve with them. Because I've suffered the consequences of my own awful decisions. I know what it's like to sit in that. What is the occasion? And what are the fitly words needed for that occasion? Fourth, uh, let me hit Isaiah 42 first. This is the heart of God when we are struggling. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. When you are a bruised reed, God has every right to correct your unbelief or your self-pity. And he may get around to that. But what is his heart towards a bruised reed? He will not put more burden on it. He will not break it. He speaks fitly words, and we're called to reflect that when we do. And then the last direction, we should give grace with our words. Before you speak, do you ever ask yourself why you're going to say what you've planned to say? What is my goal here? What am I hoping to accomplish Friends, if we only spoke when we intended to give grace, our words would be transformed or we'd be very, very quiet. Both are better than graceless communication. Now, this doesn't mean we only say nice things. Sometimes the most grace-filled way to help someone is to say something that's hard Correction, confrontation, and rebuke should, though, have grace-giving as their goal. If you're correcting your spouse or rebuking your spouse because you're fed up and I can't take anymore, that is a good time to be quiet. 
go get right with Jesus. He never speaks to us out of that heart, ever. Go meet Jesus. Align your heart with his purposes. And you may come back and say the same exact words you planned. But the goal would be grace. And your tone will be redemptive. We often give ourselves time off from giving grace when we come through our front doors. If I wouldn't talk like this to a member of my community group, if I wouldn't talk like this to someone at church, do not give yourself permission to talk like that to your spouse. They don't deserve the crumbs of your godliness table. They deserve the double portion of your godliness table. All right, now, if those directions, hopefully that brings that ultimate purpose down to where you can get handles on it. I'm going to give you just a couple more handles, and Joel, this is the shortest part of the message. I'm going to give you a couple more handles to really put it into practice, okay? Five tools, and the subtitle to the book is Five Tools for Marriage and Life, okay? I'm going to walk through these tools. Each of these is a chapter, but you're only getting like two paragraphs, maybe a paragraph and a half. The first tool the first tool is the tool of first response. The tool of first response. It's built on this premise. The course of a conflict is determined by the person who responds, not the one who initiates. Read the Gospels. Just pick one and read straight through it. And just listen, read it through the lens. How does Jesus deal with communication. How does he respond when attacked? He doesn't get into fights with the Pharisees. He responds in a way that takes what was intended to be an attack to some of the best teaching we have in all of Scripture. Right? His response redirects a conversation. Proverbs 15.1 hits this straight on. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And let's just look at the mechanics of Proverbs 15.1. Uh, here it is. You ready? A soft answer turns away wrath. What's happening there? What is initiating the exchange? Is it the soft answer or wrath? Tell me. Wrath is coming. It doesn't say louder wrath turns away wrath. It doesn't say avoidance turns away wrath. What? It's coming. How do I respond to wrath? Oh, a soft answer turns that away. It diffuses a situation. The soft answer, contrary to the volume levels, has all the power. The tool of first response. Second, the tool of prayer. And this is built on the premise that there is always a third party standing by ready to help in your communication. And it's not your pastor. I mean, they want to be helpful, I'm sure. They can't bring conviction. They can't apply truth to your hearts. They cannot illuminate your sin. It's the Holy Spirit always standing by to help. When we are in conflict, 
we become functional atheists. We behave as though God doesn't exist. But he does exist. And he stands ready to help in your marriage, listen to this, before difficult conversations, during difficult conversations, and after difficult conversations. Once you're in a difficult conversation, you shouldn't take the attitude, well, we've already blown it, we might as well finish it. No, you can stop right there and say, wait a second, my heart is so engaged right now, you're getting nothing of Jesus. Can we just take a five-minute time out? I want to go pray, and we'll come right back, and we can talk. Why do we never do that? Because we get so caught up in our own purposes and our own agendas and our own pride, we forget we love Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The tool of prayer. Third, the tool of physical touch. This is not an intimacy portion of this. It's much more important for communication than that. Listen, this is built on the premise that it is not possible, it's a big, big promise here, it is not possible to fight with someone you are affectionately touching. You're like, I don't know about all that. Just try it. You can go back and say, Rob, I was totally wrong. You're right. Here's how it works. You simply sit near enough to your spouse that you're able to touch. Hold hands place your legs across one another, you know, however it is that matches your, your couple touchedness. <laughs> you touch, and then you talk. And as the conversation progresses, if tension starts to grow, you will instinctively stop touching to make room for the attack you're planning. Or your spouse says something, and you're like, I do not want to touch this person and you instinctively will pull away. And if you're aware of this tool, you'll realize, oh, wait a second, wait, wait, wait. We stopped touching like five minutes ago. Did I say something that upset you? And it's this indicator. It's a little yellow light before the red flag and siren starts going. It's just this, hey, warning, warning. Oh, that's all this, this tool of physical touch is. Try it. I've had people when I've taught this say, you know, Rob, I don't even think that's biblical. I don't know if it's biblical. It just works. It's not unbiblical, right? It's not like Scripture says, when you talk, don't touch. Okay? <laughs> Try it. The tool of mirroring. This helps you work through any risk of misunderstanding. If you are often saying, no, no, you're, that's not what I meant. If that happens in your conversations, this is the tool for you. Conversations only proceed when we're able to accurately articulate what the other person has just said. Essentially, one person makes a point, then rather than responding with the counterpoint you've been planning the whole time they've been talking, you repeat what you just heard in your own words. And listen, this is the most important part of the tool of mirroring. I've come around the pulpit to close the space so you really listen. 
The person who first said it gets to decide if you're right. They say this, and you say something else. And they say, okay, no, no, that's not what I meant. Yes, it is. You've lost. Okay, that's where you need the tool of prayer, and we're not going to cover it today, but the tool of repentance. Um, okay, if, that, if I got it wrong, if that, if that doesn't sound like what you meant to say, try it again. I want to make sure I get it before we press forward. Your conversations initially will take five times longer, but you won't have a raised voice in the house because the misunderstanding will be eliminated. And then lastly, the tool of proper timing. It's built on the premise that it's possible to say the right thing at the wrong time and be out of, out of step with the will of God. We covered this in one of the directions. I illustrate lots of this in the book, but I'm not going to spend more time on it because we just cover it. Let me end with this. You remember my son with the screwdriver and the hammer and it bent all out of shape? We celebrated with him that day because that was the, what was fitting for that occasion. Um, He's 22 now, he's living outside the house, and he no longer thinks precision screwdrivers are nails. I bring that up because he learned what the purpose of a precision screwdriver was and he no longer misuses it. You just spent 40 minutes, 45 minutes, learning about the purpose of words. You don't have to misuse them for one more day, one more hour, or one more conversation. Take yourself before your Savior. Ask for the power to do what you now know to do. And your marital communication can be transformed in a moment for your good and the glory of Christ.